Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks Thanks be to to God, who gives us victory, the victory, the victory, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And welcome back to the Living Victory Podcast. My name is Christian Conway, once again, only joined by Max Keane. Jonathan Krauss has seemingly fallen off the face of the earth. I remember about a year ago, you and Jonathan had a discussion because I used to always say, joined by my main men, Max Keane and Jonathan Krauss. And you and Jonathan had a discussion and an argument on who the real main man was. And I think that, I think you have a pretty strong argument for having beat him out now that you've been on like 10 podcasts that he hasn't <laughs> been able to make it to. So Heck yeah. Take that, have you missed, Jonathan. Have you missed a podcast? Uh, there might have been one or two that either you or Jonathan did on your own, but hmm. I think you might. I think you might have the rightful title to most Living Victory podcasts hosted. <laughs> Maybe so, but you probably put in more work than I do. But so, yeah, it's a team anyway, effort. Week going. Oh, it definitely is a team effort. Definitely, lots of work that goes into it. Team effort. How's your week going? Um, it's, it's pretty good for the most part. Um, honestly, I'm, this week feels like it was three weeks in one. Um, I went down to Virginia on Monday and did not see Christian, unfortunately, but I did see my good friends, Cameron and Jerry, and we were hanging out, um, (laughs) Cameron and I, so growing up, um, one of the ways that we bonded was racing Hot Wheels. <laughs> and he had this like really awesome track that broke a few years ago. And so we, we were on a FaceTime call um, maybe a week and a half ago. And we were talking about it. And then we looked on eBay for one and we found one. And we're like, yeah, let's just get this track and spend a couple of days like just racing Hot Wheels. And that's what we did. And we felt like children, but it was like the greatest two days ever. <laughs> so yeah, on Monday, um, and uh, that's not all we did, but that was sort of what got me to go down there. But yeah, um, then Wednesday, got lunch uh, with a friend, um, Matthew Braden, who was on the podcast before. Check out his episode. Still one of my all-time favorites. Um, and then grabbed dinner with another friend, and then got to school on Thursday and have had RA training pretty much all weekend. And yeah, so I've been preparing to get back to school. Um, Well, I am at school, but like preparing for that mindset of being in school, which I do not have right now. (laughs) So yep, school classes start in two days. Although I'm sitting by a window, hoping that snow comes down and maybe we get a day off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was sad. We were supposed to get snow here in Virginia today. But as the week went on, the precipitation just went further, further back in the forecast. And it was supposed to start off snowing in the morning and then turn into rain around one or two o'clock just because of what time the weather was going to or the temperature was going to get high enough. But then the rain started or the precipitation started going further and further back until it just turned into cold rain. And that's no fun. Nobody likes cold rain. So 
we just got cold rain this morning and it just made our lives, uh, it made travel and stuff more difficult instead of making the landscape more beautiful like snow does. So yeah, what's yep. weird for us is we're supposed to be having like snow all afternoon into the evening and then at night it's supposed to turn to rain and then turn oh, back into snow in the morning. <laughs> so Man. for some reason it's getting warmer at night and it's getting colder in the day. So if somebody wants to explain that to me, I would love to know how that works. Yeah. Well, you know, snow. I, I love snow. Snow is beautiful. There's a lot of people around here who hate snow and wish that yep. it would never come around. And yep. people who moved moved south to Virginia just so they could get away from snow. <laughs> and so every time it comes around, they're like, oh, this darn snow. I should move even further south. But <laughs> I love snow. I'm a sucker for some snow. So yep. if I'm anybody has some some snow that they want to send my way, feel free. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Same here. But we'll get into our, our uh, series. We're, well, we'll get into our episode for today. We are getting back into our series on Philippians. And you guys are probably thinking to yourself, when in the good world that God has created is this series <laughs> going to end? Because we've been doing this series, I believe, since September. And we are just now starting the fourth chapter which I will have you guys know is the final chapter of Philippians. So everybody out there who's been listening every week, waiting for us to come up with non-Philippians podcasts, <laughs> then uh, the end is in sight. But for those of you who have been listening, just waiting till we can keep going with Philippians and, and loving this Philippians series, then you got, I don't know, you got a, a good month or two left in this Philippians series. So I'm really excited for it. Uh, yeah, as you guys know. I'm part of that latter group. I, I've loved <laughs> going through this. So I've kind of been yeah. hoping this book never ends. <laughs> yeah, and I've learned so much about Philippians. Uh, like, you know, Philippians is four chapters. So you could literally sit down and read the whole thing in like 10, 15 minutes. But just being able to go slow and go deep and just really go into what the passage is saying has been a really cool experience. Uh, and it's it's been really beneficial for me. So if if nothing else... Uh, just being able to go through and study it piece by piece has been really, really cool. And as you guys know, every passage in Philippians is a glorious passage. So we have yet another glorious passage waiting for us today. While I, I might say this passage is slightly less glorious than other passages that we've studied <laughs> in Philippians. Uh, no, for all of you theology heads out there, that is not a statement on the theological weight of Philippians <laughs> chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It's just as much scripture, just as much God's word as the rest of scripture, but it, uh, let's just say the application is a little harder to draw out of it. It's not as applicable as some of the other areas in Philippians, or at least you have to try harder to get that application out of it. So without further ado, we got Philippians chapter four, verses one through three. Let's get into it. Alrighty then. So Philippians chapter four, uh, many of you probably know from memory, some verses from this chapter, um, you know, Philippians four, Six and seven, it's six and seven or seven, yeah, six and seven. Do not be anxious about everything, and then Philippians four eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, you know, think about these things. Or, of course, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. You know, there are a lot of great verses in this passage um, that I'm sure many of you know. Uh, but starting with the first three chapters. You may not know them, or not three. Did I say chapters? If I said chapters, I meant verses. Starting in the first three verses, 
there may be some verses that maybe you don't know as well. So let's look at verse 1 in chapter 4. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Um, so we had Paul, if you guys remember a couple weeks ago, he was just talking about um, just the kinds of people in this world. There are some who look to themselves for their glory, or there are those who follow after Christ, who don't live for this world, but live for what's beyond this world, right? And so he's saying, look, after looking at these two kinds of people, I want you guys whom I love and whom I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I mean, if you're one of those people who are living a life where your citizenship is in heaven and you live like it, in this verse he calls you my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, and at the end, my beloved. Like, that is... Man, he's really trying to trying to get you to feel the weight of his love for you. Um, but he his charge is to stand firm in the Lord. And as I read that, I it actually ties in perfectly with what um, we were talking about in church this morning. So at the church that I've been going to when I'm at school. This was my first time back in like a month. Um, but we've been going through um, end times and prophecies and things like that. And we started Revelation a couple months ago. And today we looked at the church in Philadelphia, which is in Revelation 3, um, verses 7 through 13. So I'm going to read those verses real quick. Um, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews, and are not, but lie. But behold, or I mean behold, sorry, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about patient, patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and out of my new name, or in my own new name. 
He who has an ear, let him hear to what the Spirit says to the churches. So you listen to this passage, and if you compare this church to the other churches that are written, that have letters written to them um, in Revelation, there are seven churches. If you look at Philadelphia and the way that Christ talks to them, you can tell that they are people who love God, who live like it, and who stand firm on the word of God. The other churches that that you look at, the majority of them are really struggling in one or two specific areas. But this church is something else. This is the church that you want to be at. Because they are living in a way that glorifies God. They're not turning away from God. They are not rejecting their faith. They are glorifying Him in all that they're doing. And I'm going to read this one part one more time. It says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole earth. And in verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. I mean, he's he's telling them, like, look, I've seen what you've done. You're doing great things, and you're going to be rewarded because of those things. But keep standing firm in that. Keep living the way that you're living, because the way that you're living setting an example the way that you're living has an impact that's so great and you're going to be rewarded because of those things and that just reminded me of what paul is saying here in philippians chapter 4 when he says stand firm thus in the lord that charge of how our lives should live for us to be grounded and rooted and what God has for us. We need to be living that way. We can't be wavering. We can't be compromising what we think is good. Um, because the Bible sets the standards. It's not us who sets the standards. But it's God's word. And so we need to be living, standing firm in what God has said. Not trying to be like, okay, well. Let me try and balance what I want versus what God wants, and maybe we can come come to an agreement. No, we need to be living and standing firm in God and not in ourselves or not 50-50. And so that's what that's what Paul is urging here is, you know, live a life where your citizenship is in heaven. Live a life where you're not living out of the things that you have in this world. Because as we talked about a while ago, Paul had every reason to boast in this world. But that's not what he does. He focuses on the important thing, which is that God is where our boast should be. And so that's that's the, the challenge that... Paul gives us here 
looking at all that he's said so far with citizenship and where we draw our hope from, he's saying, stand firm in what in the Lord. Stand firm in what is true. That is a very difficult and amazing challenge that we get to work on in our lives because it can be so difficult to give it all up to God to say, look, all that I have, it's because of you. Now, we can easily say that. I I can say that pretty easily. But do I live it out? Not always. I'd like to say I, I do. I wish I could say I do, but You know, there are times where it's like, oh, yeah, I I did something pretty cool right there. Or, yeah, I'm because of the kind of guy I am, that situation worked out over there. And instead of giving God the glory, it can be so easy to give ourselves the glory. Even if it's subconsciously where we're the way we live and the way we act and where we're not fully giving God the glory in all we do. And so that's sort of the challenge I want to bring to you guys today is are you standing firm in God and letting him be where your hope is, where your life is? Man, I uh, I think I've changed my mind. As we've been going through this Philippians passage, I think that this Philippians passage is chock full of examples and practical ways for us to live our life. Because specifically, one thing that Paul has done very well throughout this entire letter has been identifying real-world examples for people to follow or for people to fix or for people to avoid. And chapter 2 is just the crowning jewel of all that. Chapter 2, we saw Paul was pointing toward Christ, saying that we ought to have the same mind that Christ Jesus has, a mind of humility. And then he pointed to himself and the work that he's been doing. And then he pointed to Epaphroditus, and he pointed to Timothy. He pointed to all these men that he wanted people to follow and to to model their lives after because of the way that they were striving and living for the Lord. Now, we see going into verses 2 and 3, Paul finds a situation in real life that he tells people to not imitate. In fact, he identifies a situation within the Philippian church that he wants them to fix. And I think that the instruction that we see here can be very helpful in trying to fix very similar situations in our own lives. Because verses 2 and 3 here, I'll read it in just a second, it describes a disagreement. And it's probably a disagreement that has led to much contention and controversy within the church. It might even be a disagreement that has started to split the church a little bit. And this is the kind of thing that we run into in today's society. Today's society is so polarized that it seems like every other sentence that you say causes division. It seems like every other sentence that you say is causing somebody somewhere to disagree with what you're saying and to want to take a whole team of people to prove to you why what you said is wrong or is amoral or sorry, immoral or just should not be said in the first place. And when we have those disagreements, these words from Paul here can really come in handy and can really help us to figure out how we can deal with these in a godly manner. So I'm going to read, I'll read verses one through three, because I think that The part that Max just read, it goes well. It serves as a good transition between the end of chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3 here. So I'm going to read it all. That way it can be one flowing thought. And we can see how Paul's stream of conscience is working in this passage. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 say, Therefore, my brothers 
whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So that's not very much. We don't get very much context or information about what's going on in this situation. What we do see is that there are two characters. There's Euodia and Syntyche. And Paul is entreating them, which means Paul is coming to them. He is, he is asking them. He is begging them to agree in the Lord. Now, what are they disagreeing about? Paul never necessarily mentions it. But whatever it is that they're disagreeing about must be a non-salvation issue. Because if it was a salvation issue, then rather than trying to get them to agree, Paul would be, he would be condemning one of them as a heretic and, and calling for them to repent. And I think that's an important lesson for us to learn in today's society, because as I mentioned, with things being so polarized and with people being so quick to jump on the opposite side and, and want to disagree with what you say, it's important to remember what are the important things in life, because there are some important things, especially with the scriptures, that we should not compromise on. What are those important things? Well, the first important thing is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is something that we should never compromise on. That is something that we should never try to adjust our beliefs slightly to try to agree with somebody. If, if some, if, if Euodia or Syntyche was getting the gospel wrong, Paul's, uh, his exhortation would not be agree with each other. His exhortation would be, this is the gospel, agree with the gospel. Because Paul knew that if something was a salvific issue, there's no room to, to change the truth of it to try to agree on something. There's no room to compromise. There's no room to do any of that. If something is a salvific issue, there is no budging. Scripture is clear on those things. The gospel, the gospel news that we are sinners in need of a savior. And there's nothing that we can do on our own to overcome that barrier that's created between us and God. The only way that we can be reconciled to God is through Christ. The work that he did on the cross as God in the form of a man who was born of a virgin, who lived a perfect life and died a death he did not deserve at the hands of humans. And then on the third day, he rose again from the dead and his resurrection proved that he was who he says he was, that he had power over sin and death and that every claim he ever made was authenticated. And through faith and repentance, we can be reconciled back to our heavenly father through Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. That's the gospel. That is one of the salvific issues that can never be disagreed upon. If you disagree with somebody on the gospel, then one of you is right and one of you is wrong. There's no room for disagreement on these core issues and core doctrines within the church. The gospel is a salvific issue. If you do not believe the gospel as it is presented in scripture, then your salvation is not there. Salvation is only possible through Christ. Christ is the one and only way to the Father. He even claimed that in John 14, verse 6. And the core doctrines of the church, like the Trinitarian nature of God, the fact that God is three in one, but also the unity of God, that there is only one God, there only ever has been one God, and there only ever will be one God. And then the inspiration of scripture, that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. These are things that we as Christians have to agree on. God, God didn't leave any room for, I guess we can, we can compromise and agree on this situation. 
Now, there are some, some other issues that maybe there can be some compromise on. That In some issues, unity within the church is more important than whatever thing we're arguing about. When we come to things like that, let's think about things like politics. Christians have different opinions on politics, different political views, different, uh, they, they vote differently, but Christians within the church should not, allow, should not allow their differences in political opinions to come between them and the unity that they have with their brother or sister in Christ. So the issue that Paul is addressing in this passage, while we don't know the exact context, we don't know the exact matter that they're arguing over, what we do know is that this disagreement, whatever it is, is less important than the unity that they are losing by disagreeing over this topic. So Paul extremely values unity in the church. Unity is so important with Christian brothers and sisters in Christ because we are called to be the body of Christ. And I love 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is an amazing passage that talks about the different gifts that God has given to the different members of his church. And when it talks about the members of his church and the members of his body, because the church is the body of Christ, it uses a great analogy. It uses the analogy of a human body. It says a human body is made of many different parts. And if we think about it, that's absolutely true. We have many, many parts in each one of our bodies that perform vastly different tasks, but all of them are working for the success of the body. For example, the eyeball, you're able to see out of your eyeballs. But if you put your eyeball virtually anywhere else on your body, it would prove completely useless. If you tried to replace your thumb with your eyeball or tried to replace your kneecap with your eyeball, it wouldn't do you any good. In fact, it would cause more pain than it would give you any benefit. And the same thing's true. If you took your big toe and tried to put it in your eye socket, you would, you would have nothing. You would have no benefit from it. And so in that passage, 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about how just like the members of a human body have to all find their place and stick to it and work as hard as they can for the benefit of the whole body, the members of Christ's body must be unified in that same way. They must see that, all right, we have different giftings. Some of us are gifted with teaching. Some of us are gifted with hospitality. Some of us are gifted with mercy. And just because one of us is on stage teaching while the other one's doing hospital visits doesn't make any one of us any more important than anyone else. We ought to be unified using what God has given us to the glory of God. And that's such an awesome thing when we think about it. And when we look at this situation between Euodia and Sentiki, that's what Paul is asking them for. Paul is asking them to find unity, to agree in the Lord. And he knows that sometimes human thoughts and opinions get in the way of reason or get in the way of understanding and acting on the things that God is calling you to do. So he goes a step further than just asking Euodia and Sentiki to agree. He even talks to a companion of his. We're not sure who this person is that he's referring to in chapter or in verse three when he calls somebody true companion. But whoever it is, he's asking this person to help these women. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul wants this to be a church issue. He wants this to be a thing where members within the church come together and try to restore unity together rather than, rather than just saying, well, it's not my issue, it's their issue. So I'm gonna let them figure that out and I'm not gonna worry about it. We as Christians are called to be in prayer about those things. We as Christians are called to come together and to try to bear with one another in love. And sometimes that 
involves helping people resolve their issues. Now, does that mean that we should go into a church and we should try to figure out everybody's issues and we should try to be involved in every single every single conflict that's ever happened in the church? That's not what that means at all, because that can very easily turn into gossip. If we are trying to assist somebody with a situation within the church, or we're trying to help somebody to, to come overcome a grievance or to, to help resolve a conflict that they're having within the church, we want to look at our motives. Is our motive to be in the know and to be one of the cool kids who, who knows everything that's going on and, and is informed on all the latest gossip? Or is our motive really to help restore the unity of the church so that Christ's body can glorify him more effectively on this earth? That's something that we should ask ourselves because it's important that we go and help. But if we're going to help everybody solve their problems and, and try to do that out of a sense of pride or out of a sense of gossip, then we should really look into that and see whether or not it'd be more valuable for us to stay on the sidelines and allow other people within the church to do that work. Now, as we close out, I want to look at the end of this passage because there's something unique that Paul says here. He says that these women, Euodia and Syntyche, have been striving side by side in the gospel with Paul, alongside Clement and the rest of Paul's fellow workers there in Philippi, whose names are in the book of life. Now, how can Paul be so sure that these people's names are in the book of life? Who is Paul to declare somebody having received eternal salvation? We are told even earlier in the book of Philippians in chapter 2 to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That, That means that salvation isn't something, it's not some bus station that you arrive at and then you just relax there nice until the bus of Jesus comes and picks you up and takes you into eternity. And we can't just drive past that bus station to see everybody who's at the bus station. It's not, it's not a, salvation isn't something, it's not a check mark that you get on your report card where once you get the check mark, then you don't have to worry about anything else because you've already achieved what there is to have been achieved. There are multiple steps in salvation and and those steps combine to, to form a continual process. There's the, the initial act or the initial uh, event of salvation, which is justification. Justification is where you are made right before God through the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. This is a moment in time where you are transferred from bondage of sin and slavery to the kingdom of God, to the family of God. This one-time action brings you into the family of God. But after justification, there's another event. And this event is actually a process. This is the process of sanctification. So sanctification doesn't make you any more saved. It doesn't bring you any further into the family of God. What it does is it molds you more into the image of Christ. It takes your thoughts and your heart motives captive to make sure that they are in alignment with what God would want for your life. And if you think about it, this is mind-blowing to have God working in us to align our desires and our intentions and our motives with those that he has. And going back to the very first chapter of Philippians, Philippians 1.6, Paul says this. He says, and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you, referring to Christ, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying that these people in Philippi, these believers that he is addressing, they have salvation. They have been justified. They are currently undergoing the process of sanctification. And sometimes the process of sanctification has some bumps in the road. Repentance is, is one of the two things that Christ requires of us in order to come to salvation. Repentance means turning away from your sins and turning toward God. And I often use this analogy of having uh, two points 
and you're you're walking toward one point, and this is the the sin end of the spectrum. And then re- once you repent, you turn around, you start walking back toward the God end of the spectrum. You start pursuing God in all of your actions and words. But repentance is more than just simply turning around and never looking back. There's times when we stumble. There's times when our sinful nature takes the best of us, and when that happens, we have to make sure that we we are constantly leaning into God. We're constantly leaning into His Word, filling our mind with His Word, which we're going to learn about later in chapter four. And this is something that we as Christians have to be very careful about and very intentional about making sure that we are working with Christ. Salvation is a process or sanctification is a process that Christ works in us while we are also working at the same time. If we look back at that Philippians chapter two, verse 12, it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If we go just a little bit further, right after Paul gives us this command to work out our salvation, he says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul is simultaneously saying that God is working in us and that we ought to work out our salvation. Sanctification is a process that God does and a process that we do together. And Paul is calling for that process to carry itself out, to bring about unity in the church in Philippi. Man, what a glorious passage. I uh, There's so much to learn. You, this, these verses are so easy to skim over. So easy to look at and say, yeah, e-u-o-dia and sin to kai. Well, I don't really care what's going on in their lives. I'll just skim over and get to the important part of Philippians 4, the parts that I've memorized, the parts that people have told me my whole life. But This example of Euodia and Syntyche is something that we run into every day, having disagreements with people, having having feathers ruffled and having uh, ties cut between Christians. We should be working for unity, to restore unity, and to agree in the Lord on the things that are not so important in the grand scheme of things. Now, if there's a salvific issue or, or, or a core doctrinal issue that your church is having a disagreement about, that's important because where a church stands on things like the inerrancy of scripture and the doctrine of God are very, very important. But where a church stands on political issues or things like that should have no place in the pulpit. They should have no place anywhere near the doctrinal issues that exist within the church. So this passage is so awesome. This passage is so rich. And I've just loved studying it with you guys today. Yeah, and going back to with what Christian just said about um, how we need to not split on things that aren't, you know, core doctrinal issues, that goes right back to what Paul was saying, you know, just a few verses before about our lives on earth versus our lives in heaven. And if we look at the important, the importance of our lives on earth, it's not that it's important for us to make a name for ourselves. But we're building community because God, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, because our citizenship is in heaven. And so if it's nothing that affects that citizenship, then it shouldn't become that big of a deal that divides us. And so I just wanted to make a quick note at that on how this ties back to chapter three, where we were just in and just seeing Paul's thought process throughout this is, is really cool.
Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And I think that, that that's something I want to encourage you guys to do. When you read your Bible, whether it's a chapter a day or 10 chapters a day or five verses a day, make sure that you're looking back and looking forward at what just came and, and what's coming up because these things connect. Remember, this book of Philippians was not written as a book. This book of Philippians was written as a letter from Paul to the church. So it reads straight through like a letter with a, a straight flow of conscience. And so when we have the chapter splits or the verse splits, those are things that we added after the fact to help us sort through these things and reference them more easily. But we should not look at it as, okay, well, chapter one's about one thing and chapter two is about another thing and chapter three is about another thing. This is a big letter that Paul wrote to this church. And we should make sure that we are putting it into context and really understanding what's going on. And if, if you have any questions about that, go to an elder at your church, go to a pastor at your church. They should be able to explain that to you and help you to understand that and contextualize your Bible reading a little bit better. And if there's nobody in your life who can help you with that, if if you don't have a church to go to, or if you don't have anybody you can ask, or if you feel more comfortable asking us, you can always reach out to us over email. You can reach us uh, individual hosts at Christian, Max, or Jonathan at livingvictorypodcast.com, or you can reach all three of us at once by emailing questions at livingvictorypodcast.com. You can also reach out. You can also reach us at Facebook or Instagram at Living Victory Podcast, and we'd love to answer your questions. The last few weeks, we've been getting quite a few questions and uh, comments from people on Instagram, and it's been amazing to be able to answer their questions and really help them through some of these things that they're working through. So I've absolutely loved helping you guys with these questions, and please keep them coming. If you guys have questions or anything you'd like to learn from Scripture about God, we would love, love, love to help you with that. If you would like to support this podcast and help us get this out further, help us spread this gospel message, there's a few ways you can do that. First is by listening every single week. We release our podcast every week on Monday, and we do that because we want to stay consistent. We want to have a consistent source of the gospel flowing into your lives, flowing into your podcast streams, and flowing into your car stereos, wherever you listen to this. We want to make sure that you have access to the gospel, access to, to different topics of everyday life that are gospel-saturated, where we can come every week and help you to walk through those. So listening listening to us every week and, and, and coming back so that we can help walk you through these things is really awesome. But we want to make sure to emphasize that this podcast is no replacement for church. One of the sad developments that's come since COVID has started is that a lot of people went online for their church services when COVID started. And since then, they haven't come back because they found it easier or, or more convenient to just sit at home and listen to a sermon or listen to a podcast. But in the book of Hebrews, we are told to not forsake the gathering together of believers. Fellowship is an important aspect of Christian community. Go to Acts chapter 2. If you read Acts chapter 2, you will see the role that fellowship plays in Christian community and how it can literally be life-changing with Christian fellowship. That is not accomplished with a podcast or with a, a YouTube video church or a, a sermon that you hear online. It's only accomplished with a regular gathering of believers in person. So we want to encourage you, if you don't have a church, find one. If you don't have a church, reach out to us and we will help you find one. We'll research churches in your area. We will help plug you in with a gospel-centered church that can help you understand God's word even better. So thank you guys so much for coming and listening. Thank you guys so much. You guys are the reason that we are able to do this podcast. We love you guys. We are so, so encouraged by the fact that you guys continue to come back, continue to ask us questions, and continue to be engaged with this podcast every single week. So we love you guys, and we thank you guys so much for coming and listening. As always, love each other and shine your light.